0: You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, great to see you guys today. How are we doing today, City Church? Pretty good? Yeah. (laughs) All right. It is good to hear. I also want to welcome those of you that are worshiping online and in the video cafe, and I particularly want to welcome you. If you're a guest with us, if you've not yet believed in God, Christ, any of that, we hope that you can not only learn a few things in your head today, but experience God uh, today as well. Now, every couple of years, I have to tell this one story Uh, about my life because it was so formative in me. Um, When I was a teenager, I had a foosball table. Uh, So my, my uncle, he owned these bars, you know, and he had like these legit video games, pool tables, and real foosball tables. And he gave me one so I could put it in my room. Well, uh, my friends and I would play foosball in there, and on the end of the foosball table, there was this kind of door that had a key to it, a lock on it, and you could open it up. And back when it was in the bar, they used to, like, get the the quarters out of there that people would put in to play the game, um, and then they would also, you know, get extra balls and put them in there for when foosballs got lost. Well, I was the only one that had the key to the foosball table. So, look, um, that became my safe. It's where I would put all my stash. I would put my weed. I would put my pipes. I would put my bongs. Those of you who are new to City Church are just learning how things work around here, right? I'm... uh, (laughs) And you got to remember that my marijuana use had nothing to do with medical needs. Uh, It was all just about being more of a slacker than what I already was, sitting around, eating Cheetos, drinking liters of Mountain Dew, uh, because I had the munchies and all of that. But my my foosball table represented at that time in my life my guilt for the things that I was doing, my lifestyle, uh, the way I was living my life, until my parents sent me to this church camp during the summer. And I go to this church camp, and I had this experience with God, and my heart changed, and I wanted to really try and walk with God and live out what I said I believed, but what I knew in my head was that when I got home, I would go back and my foosball table of temptation would be there with all the paraphernalia that was inside of it, Um, and that represented my guilt, but I was surprised when I got home from the church camp and my foosball table had been carried away. My parents had donated it to the Calvary Baptist Church. (laughs) And so part of what I I wonder to this day, whatever happened if those Baptists got inside that foosball table, it's like uh, they'd have some stuff in there that would give them the munchies and make them want to have a huge church potluck, you know. They could just celebrate away if they had the contents of the foosball table. But, you know, here's why I bring that up is that there are times in my life where I have the feeling or the sense that it's like something someone is trying to bring my foosball table back into my life. You ever have that? And like, the foosball table is really the least of the guilt, spiritually speaking, I've had to feel for things that I've done in the past. And I sometimes have these thoughts that haunt me, that remind me of things I've done that bring on this sense of guilt and shame. And my guess is I'm not alone in that. Maybe just a few of you have dealt with some guilt and shame, things that you've done in the past times when you did some stuff that you're not proud of, so much so that you wish you could kind of go back in a time machine and change history because the consequences, ramifications of your sin. Bring on this huge sense of guilt and shame. And some of you, as you go to family members' homes during the holidays, there are always those family members that really know you and know your past. And they tend to want to bring those things up sometimes, don't they? And so we're gonna think through how God wants to see, wants us to see our past. And one of the great things about God is that He doesn't leave us to wallow in the mire of our guilt and shame from past sins, struggles. And issues in our lives. And then you see, in the early parts of the Bible, um, God puts his people in this rhythm of festivals and ceremonies that help them, spiritually speaking. And the festival that we're going to study today is known as the Day of Atonement, or it's also known as Yom Kippur. Uh, it was a day when guilt was carried away. Um, so, Before we study it, I want to show you um, one idea that helped me regarding this thought of the Day of Atonement. And I learned a lot about this from guys like Nicholas Federoff, the Talmud, Ray Vander and others. And they all helped me to see this one simple truth. And that is, my Azazel says, all is well. Now, I'm gonna explain what an Azazel is here in just a little bit, but until that time, would you guys say that big idea with me out loud when I point to you, even those of you that are worshiping next door in the video cafe? Here we go, ready? My Azazel says all is well. Okay, that was your first run. That was kind of your warm up there. Let's try it again. Ready? Here we go with passion and conviction. My Azazel says all is well. Very good. So to understand what it took for guilt to get carried away, you have to understand the very serious nature of the atonement. Now, when I use that word atonement, if you're new to church, new to Bible language, that just simply means that your sins are being paid for. They're being uh, atoned for, taken care of. And we see in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons. Look look what happened. These sons who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. So they went in to make atonement for sins and they went in there and just burned fire any way they wanted to and they died. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. And so when the people's sins were gonna be atoned for, it was very, very serious business. The high priest, his name was Aaron, he had to go into the, the, the tabernacle into this inner place called the Holy of Holies and uh, offer sacrifices for the atonement of the people. And uh, it was serious business. You could die if you didn't do things right. And so from time to time, I'll have a spiritual investigator friend tell me, you know, hey, Doug, if I could just see God, then I would believe. But I'm not sure that's such a good idea because going into the direct presence of God is very serious business. His presence is more brilliant and intense than our sun and all the stars of our universe. And we are just finite creatures with limited minds and understanding And it's not such a good idea. Perhaps it's his grace that he speaks to us spiritually rather than in person in his direct presence. But the priest had to go in there very prepared. And I'm going to show you a picture of the special uniform that the priest had to wear when he would go in to make atonement for the people. And next Sunday, I'm going to kind of break down everything that is symbolized in the priest's Uh, holy garments or his uniform or whatever and talk about how it relates to you and I uh, today. But he couldn't go inside to make atonement for the people if he was ceremonially unclean in any way. And look, if you're one of the Jewish people at that time, you want that guy in that uniform going in there clear-minded, morally pure to uh, take care of your sins. You're Forgiveness was dependent on, on this dude. So you don't want him out, you know, going to 6th Street on Austin in Austin the night before, doing shots and stuff like that the night before. He goes in to make atonement for the people. In fact, there are all these traditions about the lengths they went to make sure that the high priest was pure before he went into uh, the Holy of Holies there. In fact, um, there one, there's this one tradition that says that they wouldn't let him sleep, the night before he would go into the tabernacle to make atonement. Um, And here's why, because, and this is kind of embarrassing to talk about at church, but they didn't want him to have any um, erotic nocturnal dream issues, uh, whatever. I know that's awkward to hear in church. Those of you that are children, just ask your parents, what was Pastor Doug talking about in that? Uh, Just explain to us. And then um, how come we didn't get to check into Kid City today? Um, Let us know that. But it was so serious because our sins are serious to God. Um, God sees the ripple effects that our sins have in the world and the effect that our sins have on other people, and it's serious business to God. And sometimes I tend to call my sins like dysfunctional behavior or maybe my recovery issues, and that's certainly true, but sin is very serious. To God. God knows exactly what I've done, what you've done. He knows our every motivation. Even when we did good things with bad motives because we wanted to draw attention to ourselves and make ourselves look better than what we really are, God sees every motivation of every action uh, in our hearts. And here's what some people try and do when they feel guilt they want to remove guilt from the equation. And they say things like, well, um, morals of the Bible are outdated concepts, and we really should evolve and move past that type of thinking that morals are necessary in the world. But I think the best psychology says otherwise. And I wanted to share with you some of the things I learned in a New York Times article called Guilt, Why It's Good to Feel Bad. And it says, guilt long blamed by comedians as well as therapists for countless causes of emotional misery and uh, psychological crippling is being increasingly viewed as a valuable and uniquely human feeling that is essential to social order, moral Behavior and ultimately the survival of the species. The, the study goes on to say, contrary to the tenets of pop psychology, guilt is hardly a useful emotion, said Dr. William Galen, a New York uh, psychotherapist. Guilt The sense of anguish that we have fallen short of our own standards is the guardian of our goodness. Dr. Galen said, it is necessary to the development of conscience in children and to the avoidance of antisocial behavior. This view of guilt as a force for good is gaining popularity as society seeks explanations for such growing social problems as child abuse and senseless violence against innocent people. Those who perpetuate such acts are often found to be without guilt about their antisocial behavior. And look at this next sentence. The failure to feel guilt is the basic flaw in the psychopath who is capable of committing crimes of the vilest sort without remorse or contrition, Dr. Galen noted. And so perhaps guilt sometimes isn't such a bad thing when it causes us to avoid behaviors that are going to harm Other people. And you know, the ancients were so serious about dealing with their guilt, shame, and their sin that they did something that was kind of odd to the modern person. They would actually sacrifice these animals uh, back in those days. And one of the animals that they would sacrifice was called the scapegoat or the Azazel. Now, even to this day, we use scapegoat in our modern vernacular. So for example, if the Dallas Cowboys are having a bad season and they lose, we would look for a scapegoat, don't we? We'll blame Dak, the quarterback or the coach or someone like that. Or let's say the Spurs are having a bad season, we look for the scapegoat, right? So we'll blame it on Kawhi Leonard for leaving the team, you know, which is absolutely true. And he is satanic, you know, for doing such. Um, I'm a bitter Spurs fan. Uh, but guilt, uh, the guilt is removed sometimes by the scapegoat, the Azazel, and Azazel means removal to carry away. And so the ancients believed that the their sins and guilt were being carried away by the Azazel scapegoat. Um, I want to show you this in Leviticus. Look at chapter sixteen, verse nine. Aaron will then, Aaron who was the priest, will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord. So that was one goat. And then the other one, the other goat, the scapegoat chosen by Lot to be sent away will be kept alive standing before the Lord. And when it is sent away to, what's that word? Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. Some called this goat the goat that disappears, and they literally believed that all of their sins were being placed on this one animal, and it would go away, and their sins would disappear. And the way it went down was that the high priest, Aaron, would go in in his special uniform, holy and pure, and he would put his hand on the forehead of that goat, and he would confess the sins of the people. It took quite a while quite a while. And then he would put this red cord on the forehead of the goat. According to traditions, you can see in this artist's rendering of the scapegoat or the Azazel. And then the people would stand there on the day of atonement at Yom Kippur, and they would watch the man appointed for the task, who was typically a Gentile, not a Jewish person, because Jewish people were averse to this kind of thing. Um, And the man appointed to the task would would take the goat out into the wilderness. And some traditions say that the man appointed for the task would take the goat out by a cliff and like shove him off a cliff because, right, you don't want the Azazel to like wander back into town. And then he like ends up in your backyard, your wife screaming, honey, the Azazel, with all this is the people is in our garden, Uh, we are gonna be cursed. So um, uh, you, you wanted him to go out and die. Now, one of the interesting things to me is that I noticed as I was studying this ancient ritual Um, whose sins were forgiven. And we see that in Leviticus 16, look at uh, the second part of verse 17. No one may enter until he comes, the, the priest comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. And so guilt removal is something that's individual. Um, I have to, you have to go before God and confess our sin, right? It's an individual issue. And some of you come into church today, and you've got these things that you've been carrying around guilt-wise that God didn't design you to operate in guilt. It harms you. It weakens you. And some of you have these memories. It's like you remember um, something that you said when you were drunk or something that you did or someone that you took your pants off for that you should have left them on. Or you remember someone that harmed you and you're angry at them or you've been unforgiving towards them for many years. And it's eating away at your soul. And God wants you to be able to release those things to him individually. But it also affects the family. Uh, So the high priest would go in and um, make atonement for him. Himself, his family. Uh, Guilt removal involves family too, doesn't it? Some of you know about this because there are sins in the family that not everybody knows about, but a select few of you in the family know about those kind of family secrets and it's kind of embarrassing for you and it makes you feel guilt and shame, even though you didn't do anything, but it makes you feel kind of ashamed of your family and atonement covers the family as well as the individual. Uh, But the third factor is the community the high priest would go in and make atonement for the sins of the community. And that's kind of hard for you and I to think about as Westerners, you know, in Western Europe and United States, we think as individuals, we're a very individualistic kind of society, but the ancients and Eastern thinking people, they think about the sins of the community, the sins of the city. And that's why you see in the Old Testament uh, writings about cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. And, you know, there's been a lot said about how the city of Sodom and had these messed up sexual morals, but we see from the prophet Ezekiel what God was really offended by. Look at Ezekiel uh, chapter 16, verse 49. It says, Sodom's sins were what? Pride, gluttony, and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. She was proud and committed detestable sins, so I wiped her out, as you have seen. So it's like God saying, Hey, if you're a city that doesn't care about the poor, and you have plenty, and you're just chilling, and you're prideful and lazy, and never do anything to care for the poor, God is offended. By that. And so the people would experience the atonement that paid for their individual sins, the sins of their family, and the sins of the community, and then they could receive a sense of rest, peace, what the Bible calls the, the word shalom, which just means peace. Look at me at Leviticus chapter 16, verse 30. It says, On that day, offerings of purification will be made for you, and you will be purified in the Lord's presence. From all your sins, and look at the next part. It will be a Sabbath day of complete rest for you. So, can you imagine the rest and the relief that the people would feel once their sins were taken care of and their guilt was carried away by the Azazel? See, it's kind of like when you are in school and you take your finals. And you pass them and stuff, so, and, and you realize school's over this semester. You don't have to worry about it until next school year. I remember like getting out for the summer, passing all my classes, and just throwing my notebook in the air because I was so relieved. Ah, oh, school is over. I get to chill. Right? Any of you love that feeling? And then uh, there's also it's kind of like that feeling when you are about to go on vacation and you complete your last day of work before your vacation's hitting, you know that feeling that you have of just relief and rest? The people felt that because they didn't have to have their sins atoned for for a whole nother year until Yom Kippur comes up the very next year. It was a sense of relief. And so this all begs the question, what do we do about our guilt today? because we're not under the old covenant. I mean, we're not, I don't know any of you that when you feel guilty about something, you go down to the ag bar, or, you know, the ag barn, and you buy a couple of uh, bar free and slip. Um, you go down to the ag barn and you buy a couple of goats and then you make one into like uh, holy cabrito. You take the other goat and take it out to the West Texas desert, you know, and send it off to die with a red cord on its head. I mean, I don't know anybody that does that. And the reason we don't do that today is because in Christ, we choose to believe that Jesus is our Azazel. He's our scapegoat. Let me take you to Hebrews chapter 11, or rather chapter 9, verse 11. It says, so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. And look at verse 12. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place, not once a year, but once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Is anybody on board with the new covenant and the new deal? Because Christ is our scapegoat. Christ is our Azazel. And look, the gospel is so brilliant because it removes guilt from the equation of our lives. It's like Paul said in Romans, you know, um, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. And removing that guilt and condemnation from our lives is a part of what frees us up to actually live out the gospel. A lot of us are trying to figure out how do I quit sinning? How do I quit like uh, living in addiction and hatefulness and bitterness and all these different things in our lives? Um, And we get worked up about it. But the gospel says you've got to take guilt out of the Equation, you're no longer under any type of condemnation. And we see this in a study uh, called The Science Behind Guilt. And this study was done of dieting women who were asked to come and eat candy for the sake of science. So ladies, you know how you feel when uh, you're on a diet and you eat something naughty? You feel guilt, don't you? And so what they did was they took these these ladies and they divided them up into two different groups. And... The the One group, we'll call the feel-good group of ladies, they were sent this feel-good note or this letter to help them feel better about eating the candy for the scientific study. And here's what the note said. It says, sometimes participants feel guilty about eating sweets, but you shouldn't be too hard on yourselves about it. Remember that everyone indulges sometimes. And so then they observed the ladies that had their guilt removed by the note and the guilt-feeling ladies, they watched how much they ate. And the, here's what was interesting about the study to me, is that the ladies without guilt ate 28 grams of candy, whereas the ladies that didn't receive the note and still felt their guilt ate 70 grams of candy. Why is it that the ladies with guilt ate more candy? Well, here's the, the explanation our emotional responses are activated in an area of the brain known as the limbic system. And this area of the brain is short-term minded. It wants to indulge. So uh, it's where the cravings for food, sex, even impulsive like Amazon purchases are made. Um, So check this out. So by feeling guilty, you're giving a part of your brain that, that wants to indulge more power. Did you catch that? By feeling guilty, you're giving the part of your brain that wants to indulge more power. But the feel better group, the group that received the note, uh, they made decisions from a different part of their brain. They were able to think more rationally and less emotionally. So uh, they were thinking from a part of your brain known as the prefrontal cortex. And this part of the brain is long-term minded. Um, This is the part of the brain that allows us to exert willpower and self-control. So here's what this means. By removing guilt, receiving forgiveness, you are giving the part of your brain that's responsible for willpower, more power. Does that make sense? And in the gospel, brilliant is that it removes guilt, helps us to use our prefrontal cortex so that we can make better long-term choices for our lives. And those of us that are Christ followers, we can think rationally now because of the cross about our past. And look, a lot of us have seen where our sins have taught us lessons, hadn't they? They've taught us lessons and we don't wanna go back to summer school on those lessons, do we? we can think rationally about our past. And here's what we understand, that our guilt has been taken away, not but because of some nice little note that was written to it, but because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords sent his only son to shed his blood on the cross to be our Azazel and carry away our sins. And so look, the next time something or someone reminds you of your guilt and shame from the past, you just remember the truth. Nope, my Azazel. Says all is well. Would you say that again with me out loud when I point to you? You ready? Here we go. My Azazel says all is well. And so you're having those thoughts and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I'm an addict. For whatever reason, you know, you have these thoughts come in, like, I'm an addict. I'll always be an addict. I always screw screw up because I've always screwed up. Nope. You can say, I'm not going to feel guilt about that. Azazel says all is well. And I've met some people in our church that have these thoughts that come to them all the time that like, I'm divorced, you know, and um, I'm, I'm damaged goods, you know, I'll never be any good for anyone. And to that, you can say, nope, my Azazel says all is well. Uh, sometimes people uh, have come to me and they've said, you know, Pastor Doug, I grew up in a religious environment and man, I had my kids out of wedlock and that really makes me a bad person. I'm like, no, my Azazel says all is well. Of course, there are a lot of guys that have come to us and said, hey man, I've looked at porn. It just makes me see, feel so filthy, you know, because of these images that I've seen on the screen. We want to turn from that and say, I don't have to live in guilt and shame in that any longer because my Azazel says all is well. The thoughts that you're, you know, you're a horrible parent because you didn't know how to Protect your kid from this, that, or the other. Nope, my Azazel says all is well. You can think of a myriad of different thoughts that come to your mind that cause you to experience guilt and shame because of stuff you've done in the past, substances you've consumed, things you've said when you're drunk, things you've done that were stupid and you know it. and You just say, I'm not gonna receive those thoughts anymore. I'm not gonna receive the unnecessary guilt that I don't need to carry anymore because my Azazel says all is well. And look, what what, you got to understand, if you've never started a relationship, with Christ is that you cannot do enough good things to atone for your own sin. So look, you can't count enough rosary beads in order to atone for your sin. You can't do enough Hail Marys in order to atone for your own sin. You can't like ride around on a bicycle with a white shirt and a black tie and knock on people's doors at dinner time and bug them with religious literature in order to atone for your sin. Look, you can't speak in tongues while casting. And calorie demons out of Hostess Twinkies in order to atone for your sin. You can't. Uh, you can't get baptized in order to uh, atone for your sin. Look, your horoscope has nothing to do with your atonement. Um, your ability to recycle your trash has nothing to do with your atonement or your ability to avoid texting while you're driving has nothing to do with your atonement. You're going to church classes and tribes or giving money. To the church has absolutely nothing to do with your atonement. But look, your atonement has everything to do with your individual choice to say, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross as my Azazel to carry my sins and guilt and shame away. Is anybody on board uh, with that kind of gospel, right? Right on. So look, I want to show you kind of how this works with uh, my little uh, phone calculator app. You got that little uh, app on your phone. And so if you know me right now, you're in danger Um, because I want to add up some of the sins of uh, some of my friends in the room here. And so I see my friend Hope over there and uh, her husband, Clayton, knows she can be a handful, right? So Hope, I'm going to have to put your, uh, she's pretty nice though. So I'll put a few sins in there uh, for Hope. She can be kind of naughty there. And so we've got a good number of sins for her. Um, But I see my friend, over here. Oh, no, Josh. Josh, you know, he's, he's a pretty good guy, but his girlfriend, she could, she could tell you, he's pretty bad. So I'm going to have to put a few more in there for him. Let me put some more in there. <laughs> it's just like, I want to make sure we, we cover it there. So if you look on screen, you'll see all these sins added up on the sin calculator. Dude, you got, sister girl, you, you got a lot to deal with here. But what I want you to notice is on that calculator, if you look at the little circular button in the upper left-hand corner, it's a C. For our purposes today, that C represents the cross, the cross of Christ. And when you apply the cross to your number, whether your number is large or small, it does something to change you. And so I figured it would be appropriate to pray about now because God God brought someone here today because he wants a love relationship with you and wants to begin a relationship with you by applying the cross to your number of sins. So as we bow our heads and close our eyes, perhaps you'd like to talk to God just in your own words, in your own heart and mind right now. Just say something like this. Look, God, I know I've sinned. And if I knew my number of sins that are on the calculator, I would be completely ashamed. But right now, the best I know how, I choose to apply the cross to my sin. I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I welcome you into my life. If you just prayed that, what I'd like you to do is look up at the screen now and see the new number that's applied to you. It's zeroed out, isn't it? Because the cross has been applied. And I want you to notice the little button in the upper left-hand corner. Now it says AC, doesn't it? And for our purposes today, what that means is Azazel on the cross. Your Azazel on the cross has cleared out your sin, where you're zeroed out for all of eternity. It's covered for all times. You don't have to keep going back every year. So Father, I thank you for what you've done in people's hearts. And I know that there are others among us that are believers that have been living with guilt and shame that are not necessary because of what our Azazel Jesus has done for us. We thank you for what you're doing here and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, here in just a second, we're gonna stand up and we're gonna sing and we're gonna open up the front for you to come and kneel and pray if you're compelled to do so. And for some of you, you're just gonna come to bring prayer needs that you have in your life. You know, you're praying for a relative or a family member or praying for a job or praying for God to help you make bills or whatever, but others of us are gonna come and kneel and pray and say, thank you, Jesus, that you covered my sin and carried it away because you are my Azazel, Jesus. And others, of you have things that come back and haunt you and you may just want to lay them before the Lord Jesus in prayer and say, look, Jesus, this keeps coming back on me, but I'm going to keep saying to this sin, my Azazel says all is well. And so let's stand up together now. And you come as you're compelled by God's spirit to come and kneel and pray for your request or submit uh, those things in your life that you would like uh, God to heal you in. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, it's kind of odd that someone would die for someone that's really good. But you, while we were enemies at the cross and enemies of yours, you came and kicked down walls to come rescue us and we can't thank you enough and we sense your presence among us today and we sense that some people are being healed of the memories of guilt and shame and are casting off guilt and shame from their lives, from past sins that some of us have been hunted by for many many years and you do something better than the time machine of changing history that you change eternity through the power of the gospel and father as we think about our past sins whatever they may be we know that not one of them is more powerful than your cross we would never be so arrogant as to say that my past divorce is more powerful than the cross or my past lust issues is more powerful than the cross or my past addictions are more powerful than the cross there is nothing in this room more powerful, and in all the world more powerful than the cross of Jesus, our Azazel. We thank you, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Good times, huh? Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.